I am a deacon here at North Valley. Uh, many of you know me very well, but there are a lot of new faces here uh, lately in our church, and we are very glad to to see that. So, just to tell you a little about a little bit about myself, um, Chelsea and I moved here uh, like seven years ago now to attend. Uh, Baptist Bible Seminary and uh, to get my uh, pastoral education, so that's why we moved here. I have just my internship left remaining in that, so uh, we've served here in North Valley since then, so it is great to be here with you this morning to fill in for Pastor Scott and and bring God's Word to you. Um, We will be picking up where Pastor Scott left off. Uh, he finished Genesis 42 last week, and we're going to do chapters 43 and 44. So if you want to turn there. Um, one uh, quick note that uh, uh, Glenn had asked me to share with you guys is, uh, as, uh, as you guys have noticed, we haven't been passing the plate around for offerings uh, since uh, we've been gathering back together. So we have a wooden box in the back uh, that you can drop off any of your tithes and offerings uh, in that. So just as a reminder, to uh, if that is uh, what, what you'd like to do, that is how we are collecting our tithes and offerings. So let's pray this morning, and we can open God's Word together. Dear God, I thank You for today. I thank You for everything that You've done for us. I thank You for all these folks You've brought out together to worship You together and to fellowship and to study Your Word. Um, I pray that as we look at um, Genesis this morning and look at the story of Joshua and his, or, uh, Joseph and his brothers, um, I just pray that you would uh, just open our hearts to what you have to say, help us to understand, help us to see how we can uh, apply these truths to our life and uh, not just look at it as uh, a good story, but as truth that we need to know and we need to to apply to our lives if we want to be Christ-like representatives of you. Um, I just thank you again for today, and I just pray that you would uh, use your word to bless us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in Genesis 43 and 44, and as we saw last week, as we started this uh, story of Joseph's brothers coming back to Egypt, and unknowingly seeing their brother again. They haven't found out yet that this is their brother that they had sold into slavery so many years ago. But we see Joseph setting up this scheme or this plan to test his brothers to see if they have repented or if there has been true repentance in their life. So that's what I've titled this sermon this morning is True Repentance because that's really what we see in this story is, is there true repentance in these brothers of his? So, first we need to ask, what is repentance? What is true biblical repentance? We hear the word a lot in church. Or, or in God's Word. We see it throughout Scripture. But it's important to understand what it means. We see in the Old Testament, God, through His prophets, continuously calls the nation of Israel to repent to repent of their sin. We see in the New Testament, John the Baptist preaching repentance before Jesus came. And then you see Jesus Himself calling His followers and those He preached to to repent and believe. And then again, the 
the New Testament writers that follow the Gospel call believers to repent and believe in the Gospel. So again, what is repentance? What does it mean to repent? Is it simply feeling sorry for what you've done? I mean, I think that there's an aspect of that, yeah. But there seems to be more than that. Is it confessing your sin? We're, we're called to do that. Is that what repentance is? Is it asking for forgiveness? Is it, as many have explained it, is it changing your mind? That's, if you break down the Greek term for repentance, if you break it apart, it means to change one's mind. Is that all it is? Or is there more? Well, I think as I was studying this out, uh, John MacArthur has a really helpful explanation or uh, definition of what biblical repentance is. And, and in his book, uh, Biblical Doctrine, he's, he writes for a couple pages on and explains in Scripture where repentance is found and what it looks like and what it is. And then he summarizes with this paragraph here. He says, Biblical repentance is not a mere change of thinking, though it does involve intellectual acknowledgement of sin and change of attitude toward it. Neither is it merely shame or sorrow for sin, although genuine repentance always involved an, uh, involves an element of remorse. True biblical repentance is also redirection of the human will, a purposeful decision to forsake all unrighteousness and pursue righteousness instead. And thus, Repentance involves the mind, the heart, and the will. That's what we see in Scripture. All these things that we talk about when we, we ask what is repentance, I think they're all, all aspects of repentance. And, and MacArthur's right that it involves our mind, it involves our heart, it involves our will. And it is a change in all of those things. So, when we say it's a, a change of mind, we need to think differently about what sin is. Before we, before we believed the Gospel, before we knew Christ, sin wasn't a big deal. Sin is what people do. We didn't even maybe even know what sin is. But now, as repentant people, we need to change our mind about sin. We need to think the way God thinks about sin. Also, it's our heart. It's what we feel. Do we feel differently about sin now? Do you feel sorrow and grief about your sin the way God feels about your sin? Is your heart changed about sin? And then lastly, your will, what you do. Do you act differently? Repentance includes your actions. You have to stop doing what you've been doing and change and as MacArthur says, you forsake unrighteousness and you instead pursue righteousness. It's not just changing your mind. It's not just changing your heart. It's changing what you do as well. So I think this is a great explanation of what repentance is. And that's what we are called to as Christians. And that's really what is required of Christians for salvation. We see that throughout Scripture. We have to repent and believe the Gospel. You can't really believe the Gospel if you don't repent. If you don't change your mind about sin, if you don't believe sin is wrong, then why do you need a Savior? So you must repent along with believing the Gospel. That's part of the Gospel.
And this is what Joseph was looking for in his brothers. Had his brothers changed? Because the last he saw of his brothers, they sold him into, into slavery. They hated him. They got rid of him. So now he's, he, he wants to see if his brothers had changed. And the reason for that is he wants to reconcile with his brothers. But he also knows that he's in a position of power now. He is the second to Pharaoh in Egypt. And his brothers have come looking for food because he's the only one around that has any. So he knows if he just announces himself, hey guys, it's your brother. Of course they're going to apologize and say sorry. This guy that holds all this power now, remember what we did to him? I don't want him to take it out on us, so we're going to apologize and we're going to make it all better, right? Well, that's not true reconciliation. Joseph wants to see if they have changed before he reveals who he is. He wants them to repent and he does want them to feel sorrow for what they've done, but not out of guilt or out of, out of duty. He wants them to, to truly feel what they, the, the sin and what they did. So if you remember back last week, Pastor Scott preached through ch- uh, chapter 42. And there we saw Joseph's brothers are going through a famine as the whole land was and they needed food. And they heard that this Egyptian ruler had stored up food and was selling it to different people in the land. So they knew that they had to go visit Egypt and see if they could get some grain to bring back to feed their very large family. There had to be quite a few people there as Jacob had 12 sons, minus one with Joseph gone now. But they all each had their own family. So there's a lot of mouths to feed. So they need to find a way to feed all these mouths. Well, when Joseph's brothers came back, he recognized them. He recognized who they were. And he began to set up this plan to find out what was in their heart. He accuses them of being spies, if you remember. He says, you've come here to spy out the land. And they denied it, but he he wouldn't let it go. He knew better, but he he was testing them. And he said, he asked them more about their family, and he asked, do you have another brother? And they said, yeah, we do. He said, well, to prove to me that you're not spies, you need to go get your other brother and bring him back to me. And that will show me that you're honest. And after keeping them in custody for three days, Joseph told them to leave one of them behind so that they would be guaranteed to come back. So they left Simeon behind with Joseph, and he was kept in custody. And meanwhile, while they were in custody, Joseph had ordered that all of their bags of grain be filled and their money sacks be put back in them. And when the brothers found out what had happened, they were terrified because now they were really going to be in trouble. Not only did they have to go back with their youngest brother Benjamin to get Simeon, the brother they left behind, but now they had to explain why they took the grain without paying for it and their money was still in their sack. So they, they didn't really know what was going on. But as we saw at the end of chapter 42 as Pastor left off last week, they returned to their father and explained the whole situation. That they had to leave Simeon and now the only way to get him back was to take Benjamin, Jacob's youngest son, back with them. And he refused. Because, if you remember, Joseph was his favorite because he was the son of Rachel. 
and then Joseph was gone, and then Benjamin was born. And he kind of replaced Joseph with Benjamin. He was his new favorite. He was the baby. He was the youngest. And although, looking at the timeline, he wasn't a child at this time. He was probably in his 20s, maybe even 30s, because quite a, quite a long time has passed since Joseph has been in Egypt. But still, Jacob refuses to allow them to take his son because he doesn't want to lose his youngest favorite son again. And that's where the story left off. So today we're going to be looking at chapters 43 and 44 to see how this story continues to unfold. And what we saw in the beginning of this plan unfolding is that it seems like Joseph was being a little harsh with his brothers. But we know, and as we'll see today, his intentions are good. He wants to bring about reconciliation. The only way to do that is to find out if his brothers were truly repentant. He wanted to see if they had changed. Because if they hadn't changed, they would leave Simeon behind. They would sacrifice a brother. They would leave him behind. Leave him with Leave him in Egypt, in custody. Leave him with Joseph. Just like they did with Joseph. They would just leave their brother. But would they return and, and show that they had changed? So let's read chapters. Uh, I'm going to read both chapters, 43 and 44. It's quite long, so I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll go back through and summarize what's going on in the story. So follow along with me as I read through chapters 43 and 44. Now in the land, now the famine was very severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they brought from Egypt, their father had said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will not send your brother, our brother with us, we will not go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Israel is now the name of Jacob, Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother, Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, 
He said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid, because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was placed in our sack the first time. That is why we are being brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house, and they spoke with him at the door of the house and said, O Lord, O O my Lord, we have come down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack and our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought our other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house, they they brought in into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is is your father well? The man of whom you spoke, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself. Controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. With his money for the grain, as he did as, he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke spoke to them these words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord? Your Lord's house. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we shall be in my Lord, we, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. 
He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest, and ended with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. And then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we answered, and we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, a, the child of his old age. My brother is dead, or his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, then his father will die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again to buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down, for if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless your, our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left to me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of, instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So here you see our passage of Scripture this morning that we will be discussing. is is quite a long passage and there's a lot in here, but we really see uh, Joseph's plan developing here as he is testing his brothers to see if they are repentant. In our first section here, we see that the famine was still going strong in the land, and the brothers needed food again. They had, in the beginning of chapter 43 there, they had run out of the food that they had gotten from Egypt. And they know they can't go back without Benjamin. So, 
Jacob comes to them and tells them, you need to go back and get food. And Judah says, we can't. Not unless you let us bring Benjamin. This Egyptian ruler told us he would not see us again unless we brought our brother with us. And Judah this time guarantees his brother's safety. We see that in verse 9. And here, you can start to see a change in Judah. If you remember, it was Judah who suggested that they sell Joseph into slavery back in chapter 37. But now we see Judah offering to lay his own life down for his young brother. Only this time it's Benjamin instead of Joseph. Judah had had a change of heart. He had, he had seemingly repented of what he did back in, in chapter 37 with Joseph. And perhaps it was his experience with Tamar, as we talked about in chapter 38, and that maybe that began to show Judah the arrogance of his ways and how he had, had, had to pay the price for his arrogance. He almost had his, his, the mother of his child killed. Or maybe it was just the grief wearing on him in his old age now and what had happened throughout his life had started to bring him to a place where he realized what he had done and the sinfulness of it. And in any case, you can see Judah's attitude is different with this brother as it was with Joseph. In verse 10, Judah explains to his father that if we had not delayed in the first place, we'd have already gone and come back with food twice. But you made us wait because you won't let us take Benjamin. And finally, in verse 11, Jacob is convinced and he finally allows them to take Benjamin with them. And again, he doesn't realize he is sending his, his sons back to the son that he lost in Joseph. And now Jacob's response here certainly doesn't sound like one of faith, does it? We know through, throughout Jacob's life different things that have happened to him that caused him to place his faith in God and he followed God wherever he led him. But now, he almost seems resigned to the fact that God is no longer taking care of him. At least that's what he thinks. He said, as you can see there in verse 14, he said, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He says, if my children die, then they die. He's not trusting that God's going to take care of them. He's saying, it is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. He's allowing his feeling of grief and sorrow to affect his faith. Now keep this in mind because we'll see in Joseph a totally different attitude of faith. But Jacob tells his boys what they need to do and sends them with the gifts uh, for this ruler in Egypt and tells them to bring twice as much money this time so that they can pay back what they seemingly took the first time. And they won't look like thieves. And he sends Benjamin with them. And then in the last half of chapter 43, you see the brothers head to Egypt. And when, they, when Joseph finds out that they brought Benjamin back with them, he invites them over for dinner. In verse 18, the brothers assume that they're in trouble. Oh, he's invited us into his house. He must know about the money. And now he's going to pay us back. And now we're going to be punished for stealing. And immediately they go to uh, Joseph Stewart, the, the kind of the master of his house, 
and explain to him what happened. That we got home and we found all the money in our sacks. And we brought it all back with us to pay for what we took. And they, they want to assure that they won't be in trouble for what they did. And the steward pretty calmly says, yeah, I know. I know what happened. Don't worry about it. We, we know what happened the first time. Don't worry about it. Your money was paid. And invites them in for dinner. And then brings Simeon out to them, the brother that they had left in captivity in Joseph's house. Now, what, whether or not Joseph explained to Simeon who he was or what happened during this time while Simeon was, was in, in, uh, in Joseph's house waiting for them to come back, we don't really know. It seems later on with Simeon's interaction with uh, Jacob when he dies that it didn't seem like he knew during this time that this is who Joseph was. But in any case, Simeon and his brothers are reunited. And Joseph comes to dinner when Joseph gets home. And he starts to ask the, the brothers how they're doing. How's your father doing? Is he still alive? And then he sees Benjamin. And he says, is this your youngest brother, Benjamin? Or is this your youngest brother? And they said, yes, this is Benjamin. And when Joseph sees his full brother, remember, this is his only full brother. His, all the other brothers are half-brothers to him. And he, when Joseph sees his youngest brother, his full brother, for the first time, he is overcome with emotion. He has to run out and find a place where he can go weep without his brothers knowing it. This is the first, again, this is the first time Joseph has ever seen Benjamin. And what we see is that Joseph still has a tender heart for his family. How easy would it have been for Joseph to be bitter and resentful at his brothers for what had happened? Similar to to what we see in Jacob. The brothers who sold him into slavery and just forgot about him acted like he died. But Joseph never lost faith in God. Think about all that happened after that. He was put in prison falsely and then saved the, the inmates that were in there with him and was forgotten about again and stayed in prison until they finally remembered, oh yeah, that guy, Joseph, in prison, he can interpret dreams. And then, then he was finally let out, but all the things that had happened to Joseph in his life, and he still has a tender heart for his family, for his brothers, that got this whole thing started. Again, compare this to Joseph. Or compare Joseph to Jacob, his father. Jacob had grown bitter and resentful at his children. And he even has the attitude of, I'm not letting you kill my favorite son again. He let his grief and uh, sorrow turn into bitterness. Again, if anyone had a reason to be angry or bitter, it was Joseph. But he wasn't. Joseph was strengthened in his faith throughout all he'd been through. And now the brothers, they must have become a little suspicious of what's going on here. Because Joseph had them seated at the table from oldest to youngest. The Egyptians had no idea of knowing who was oldest and who was youngest. I mean, these men, like Joseph, were... Joseph was probably in his 40s here, and he was the youngest. So these men are probably in their 50s or 60s. So there's no telling who's, who's oldest and who's youngest. And they hadn't told him at this point, because when Joseph did this, the brothers are looking at each other in amazement, like, how do, how do they know? 
who's who. And Joseph, you must have been having a pretty good time watching this. Doing all these things to his brothers, and they don't know who he is yet. I can just imagine what he must have been thinking as all this is going on. And then Joseph feeds his brothers, and he gives Benjamin five times as much as the others, and they have a great evening together. Having dinner, and just having a great time. And also, you think of Joseph's brothers, that they're worried that this Egyptian ruler is going to put Benjamin in, in danger, and that's why he wasn't able to come with him the first time. But now you see, oh, this guy loves our brother. Everything's great. They must have been encouraged. He's taken a liking to our brother. We're going to be fine. But then comes chapter 44. And you see the brothers had a great time in Joseph's house and left the next morning. After all of their bags were full of grain, they went on their way. All 11 brothers. Life is great. We're going back home. We got everybody. We got Simeon. We got Benjamin. We got all of our food. Things are great. But Joseph's plan was still in motion. Joseph has their money put back in their sacks again. And this time, he takes his own personal silver cup and puts it in Benjamin's sack. And then once he knows that they've gone down the road a ways, he sends his steward after them and tells them, tells his steward what to do. And again, Joseph is setting up a similar situation to his own so many years ago. He's putting his brothers in the same spot to see what they're going to do. He wants to see if his brothers have changed. He wants to see if there's been true repentance in his brothers. So the brothers are stopped and accused of stealing. And they're like, no, what are you talking about? We brought your money back the first time. Why would we do it again? Are you crazy? And Judah even says, "Whoever you, if this is true, whoever you find, you can keep him. He'll be your slave. Or you can even kill him. That's how confident he is. That we didn't steal anything. What are you talking about? Little did he know, he had just basically signed the death warrant for his youngest brother that he was supposed to be protecting. So they were brought back to Joseph's house. And they argue for their innocence. And then in verse 13, we see true grief and sorrow when they they find out that the, the cup was in Benjamin's sack. That they are heartbroken. And they're brought back to Joseph to plead their case. And just think about what must have been going through their heads as they're coming back to Joseph's house. And they've just been found with his silver cup and accused of stealing. How were they going to prove that they were innocent? Did Benjamin really take it? Would he be taken as a slave or killed? Why would they make such a foolish offer in the first place? That must have been what Judah was thinking. What, what was I thinking? Why would I make such an offer? Would they all be taken prisoners or killed for stealing? They don't know. They don't know what they're getting into. But Joseph's plan is in full motion here. He's setting up this situation to see what's in his brother's hearts. You see here the, 
the reference to Judah and his brothers here in verse 14. That shows that Judah was taking charge of the situation. As the oldest, he was taking charge and taking responsibility for what was going on. When they arrived at Joseph's house, they again bow down and prostrate themselves before Joseph. This is the third time that they've done this. The first time they came for grain in, in chapter 42, they bowed down before Joseph. The second time they come back, they bow down before Joseph. In chapter 43, here again, they're coming back and they're bowing down before Joseph. Remember Joseph's dreams as a child? The thing that made them so mad is that he dreamed and interpreted the dreams to them that you boys, all you, all my brothers, you're all going to bow down to me. And they thought he was crazy. Why would us, your older brothers, bow down to you? That's not the way things worked back then. The oldest was always revered higher. But why would they bow down to their youngest brother? Especially their half-brother. But here we see, not only did they bow down to Joseph, they've done it three times now. Well, Judah speaks up for the brothers and he doesn't try to make any excuses of, as to why, why it was in Benjamin's bag. He just begs for mercy. He says, what do we need to do to prove to you that we didn't do this? They put themselves at Joseph's mercy. And Joseph doesn't require punishment for them all. He's a fair man. He just asks for the one whose cup was found to stay and be his slave. That's fair. The one who stole can pay the punishment. And this is Benjamin. And Joseph knew that. He was setting his brothers up to see how they would respond. It's as if he's saying, just sell your youngest half-brother into slavery. Why not? You guys can do that, right? I can just imagine the smirk on his face when he's just, come on, guys. Sell your brother into slavery. No big deal. But Judah responds. And this here at the end of chapter 44, verses 18 to 34, this is the longest speech given by a human in Genesis. He gives a passionate defense of his younger brother. He explains the whole situation. He retells what happened. You asked us to bring our brother back. We went home. Our father wouldn't let us. We already lost a brother. He wouldn't let us take him again. And now we've taken him and you're going to keep him. And if I go back to my father and tell him what happened, he's going to die. His life is tied up in Benjamin's life. If I go back without Benjamin, my father will die. He already lost one son and that nearly killed him. Now you're asking me to do it again. And ben, uh, Judah pleads to take his place. He says, don't take Benjamin, take me. I'll be your slave. And that's where we're left off. That's how 44 ends. And Joseph's elaborate plan to test his brothers is in motion. He wanted to see if they had changed. He wanted to see if their hearts had changed. He wanted to see if they had repented. In his wisdom, he set up an exact situation that they faced earlier with Joseph. They had to make the decision to 
send their youngest half-brother that was favored over them, that their father loved more than them. They had to choose between sending him to slavery or saving him. So we talked about what true repentance is. And we I showed you the definition that I found that I think is very accurate. It's Repentance is a complete change of your mind, your heart, and your will. What you think about sin, what you feel about sin, and what you do about sin. And this is what Joseph was looking for in his brothers. And again, he could have just revealed himself when he first saw them. Hey guys, it's Joseph. Remember me? And of course they would have bowed down and apologized and, oh, I'm so sorry for what we did, but how would you know if they're truly repentant? Do they really change their mind about what they did? Did they really feel sorry about what they did? Would they do it again? That's what Joseph needed to find out. That's what brings about true reconciliation. He wanted his family back, but he knew that couldn't happen without true repentance. He knew that if he didn't find out if they were repentant, if they were just the same old wicked sinners, then there would just be more animosity when the family came back together. Joseph wanted to find out what was in their hearts. And he knew for their own good they needed to repent. They needed to turn from their sin. Again, he put them right in the same situation they faced earlier and gave them the choice all over again. This time, as we see in Judah, they make the right choice. They don't just sell their brother into slavery. In fact, Judah offers to lay down his life for his brother. His brother that his father loved more than him. His brother that his father favored. He still offered to lay down his life for his brother. And Judah's plea at the end of chapter 44, I think it really reveals true repentance. Judah had changed his mind about what he did. He realized it was sin. He realized what he'd done wrong. He changed his heart about what he did. You can see the grief and the sorrow in Judah's response. And then he changes his actions too. He changes his will. Instead of just giving up on his brother, he repented. He changed what he was doing. He changed his response. So what do we learn from this story? Well, we too need to be people of repentance. I know many of us have heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer. And in his 95 thesis that he nailed to a church... A, church door in Wittenberg, Germany. He basically listed out 95 things that he was challenging the Catholic Church on. 95 different points that he felt the Catholic, he was a Catholic monk. He, was, he was, had lived a life in a monastery and he was a monk and he realized the error of the church and what the church needed to change. And he had came up with 95 different things that he was challenging the church on. That this is what Scripture says. And this is what we're not doing. And the very first one on the list is this. He says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, in Matthew 4.17, 
He willed that the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. And Martin Luther's right. And the reason why the Apostle Paul calls for people in the church to repent, he's speaking to believers. So they've already believed the Gospel and repented to believe the Gospel, but he's calling them still to repent. Repentance is something that we must continually do. We need to continually change our mind about sin and change our hearts about sin and change our actions about sin. We need to repent daily. And we feel this, don't we? That's why sin is a struggle as a Christian. That's why you're not sinless the moment you get saved. You still battle with sin. This is a battle. But we must be people of repentance. We must be striving to change in our minds, in our hearts, and our will. And we must be people who, like Joseph's brothers, repent of sin. We need to change our mind about sin. Change how we think. You know, often we, we have lists of acceptable sins. That's, that sin's not a big deal. I mean, everybody does that. I mean, God's, God will forgive me. I'll just ask for forgiveness and we'll, we're good. That's not God's heart about sin. That's not what God thinks about sin. We must change our heart about sin. Again, are you sorry for your sin? Or do you feel grief because you have sinned against God? Do you feel as every sin you commit is what nailed Christ to the tree, to the cross? Because that's what happened. Christ died for your sin. And then we need to change our will about sin. We need to change what we do. We need to change our lifestyle. Search our hearts for any sin that we find and change. And what this does is it aligns our mind, our heart, and our will with God. That's what repentance is. We need to think the way God thinks about sin. We need to feel the way God feels about sin. And we need to do what God does about sin. That's what the Christian life is all about. We need to be people of repentance. We need to learn from this story of Joseph's brothers and see how they changed and have the same change in our hearts and our minds and our will. The entire Christian life is one of repentance. Is yours. Is your life about repentance. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for today. Uh, we thank You for who You are and for, for what You've done for us on the cross. Um, we thank You for giving us the ability to repent. And we pray that You would bring about repentance in our life and help us to be people that strive to change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and what we do about sin. Um, we thank You for who You are and for this truth that we've seen in Your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.